everything is good to go. All right. All right, Father, I just pray over the word tonight and everybody just agree with me. Lord, we love your word. We're so thankful for your word. Where will we be today without the word of God? We need the power of the Holy Spirit, but we also need the word. And Lord, I pray tonight, Lord, that you would really speak to our hearts. I'm asking you to come upon me, speak through me. Let your words go out of my mouth as, as Jesus talked about the parable of the seed and the sowers. As living seeds of truth sown out in a good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives that are prepared by the Holy Spirit. And then those seeds watered by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, cause those seeds of truth to take root in people and grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, we agree together, we bind the enemy that would try to hinder or steal the seed. It's not going to work. We break that attack right now. The word of the Lord will go forth and accomplish that which it was sent forth to do in Jesus' name. And Lord, let your word go out as light, shining and dispelling all darkness and lies and deceptions of the enemy and bring truth. That's what we want, Lord, is truth and revelation tonight from you. And Lord, let your word be a hammer that breaks down every stronghold and a sword that cuts away everything that needs to go. Bring a breakthrough tonight in the preaching of the word and let everything be accomplished. Your will to be done through it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so I'm going to preach a Christmas message like you've probably never heard. All right, here we go. How many of you guys want to be more bold, effective witnesses for the Lord? Amen? Okay. The, Jesus said, when you're clothed with power, the early church prayed they, they were under an attack. The Pharisees had grabbed Peter and John and threatened them. So you're no longer going to speak in this name. And they gathered back together, and they, they had a prayer meeting, and they corporately prayed, and they said, Lord, consider their threats and grant your servants boldness. Boldness comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be something that you're able to just conjure up, and it's certainly not going to come just, just from things like people encouraging you or giving positive words to you and all that. All those things are good, and we need all of that. But boldness is something that comes by the power of, of the Holy Spirit within us, giving us boldness. So tonight, those that want boldness, I believe God's going to give you boldness tonight. I believe that. I really believe tonight will be a very significant night for people that you'll look back on this night and say, something in me changed that night. Something's going to happen in people tonight. It's going to be very powerful, very deep. So I've got an interesting message tonight. Let me jump into this. All right. Jesus celebrating Hanukkah in the scriptures. This is going to be an interesting word, so just bear with me. I think by the end of the word, you'll see where I'm coming from with this. In John 10, 22, Jesus, growing up in Jerusalem and being a Jew, he would have celebrated Hanukkah, and it was right here in the scriptures, John 10, 22. At that time, at the Feast of Dedication, which is Hanukkah, it took place in Jerusalem. It was winter time, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. And the Jews then gathered around him and said, um, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, just tell us plainly. And Jesus said to them, I told you and you don't believe me. The works that I do in my father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. Now that's a very key word. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. 
My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. Nobody is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. But Jesus was celebrating what we know today as Hanukkah, which is the Feast of Dedication. So Jesus had come there. It's wintertime. He's walking through the temple area, and he's looking at the lights that they have displayed there, and he's remembering the great miracle that God had done for Israel, which is very significant for me and you today. And I believe by the end of this sermon, you'll understand why. Let me give you a quick history about Hanukkah. The prophet Daniel prophesied this time. He lived during the time of Babylon when Babylon was the ruling power of that day. And inside of Babylon, he was praying and seeking God for revelation. He did a 21-day fast. God sent an angel to, to uh, Daniel. And God showed Daniel through that angel that there would be an empire that would rise after Babylon, the Medes and Persians. Then Daniel saw the rise of the Greeks, and then he saw the rise of Rome. And he saw that the Messiah would come, and he would be cut off for a time. And Daniel saw all of this. And he prophesied in Daniel 11:34. he saw that God would raise up a group of priests around 165 years before Jesus came, the Maccabees, that God would raise them up and give Israel a little help when they needed it. So let me give you very quickly a history lesson about this, okay, those that aren't familiar. But Alexander the Great, after the Medes and Persians, he led Greece to conquer the world of that time. So even though Alexander the Great was very young, he did conquer the world of that time. Daniel saw it and prophesied that it would happen. Alexander died young and mysteriously. And his four generals split up his kingdom into four parts. And down in the Egyptian area, Ptolemy ruled that area. In the Middle East, which would have been Israel, um, that was the Seleucid Empire, that was another general ruled that area. So just follow me. So the Greeks are basically the, the dominant force, the dominant nation. And in the Middle East, Israel is under their, their rulership, and there was a, a Greek emperor named Antiochus Epiphanes that began to rule over that dynasty. This was around 165 BC. Antiochus Epiphanes fought Egypt. He wanted to get more of the kingdom than what he had, so he went down south and began to fight that um, Ptolemy Empire in Egypt, and he lost, so he was angry. So what he did was he took it out on the Jews because he hated them. There has always been a battle against the Jewish people to give up their customs and the things that God gave them. And so there was a movement that Antiochus Epiphanes began to try to Hellenize the Jews, and what that means is to make them Greek to make them give up their customs, that they would no longer practice the Sabbath. They would no longer circumcise their children. They, th this was 165 years before Jesus. This was a very significant thing that was going on. And he was trying to get them to give up all the things that God had given Israel. 
that set them apart. They could no longer, he was trying to make it illegal. They could no longer have a kosher diet. They couldn't study the Torah. They couldn't dress differently. He wanted to force them to become Greek under his rulership. And some of the Jews of that time were okay with that. How many knows there's always going to be some of God's people that are okay with being like the world? You know what I'm saying? In fact, there was a Levite, according to one story that I heard, that was okay with worshiping the idol and sacrificing a pig to Zeus. And so there was a, a priest, just like on that picture up there, a man by the name of Metahias. Okay? He was, he was somebody that's, to this day, a great hero to the Jews. And being a priest, he saw that this other man, which the story that I heard was he was a Levite that was okay with worshiping an idol, and he was willing to sacrifice a pig in the temple. And so Metahias got angry and ran him through with a spear. But let me just kind of give you different things that were going on at this time so just follow me but Antiochus had put an idol in the temple he so hated the Jews and so hated God that he erected an idol in the temple and sacrificed a pig on the altar to Zeus the Greek God he cooked the pig and took the broth and poured it out on the Torah scrolls he did everything he could to defile that temple he so hated God's people and, his, and God's word. He did everything he could to get it to where the, the Jewish people would no longer worship in that temple. They would no longer pray to the God of Abraham. They would no longer study Torah. And as we go through this sermon, you're going to understand why the devil stirred up this attack. But Mattahias and his son Yehuda rose up and defeated them. And they tore down that altar, cleansed it. They cleansed the temple. Let me give you another account. There was another story I did some research on this. And Titius had made it illegal, actually illegal to practice Judaism and tried to force the Jews to convert to Greek culture and worship Greek gods. So I'm just giving you a different spin on it. It was illegal to study the Torah, celebrate the Sabbath, the Shabbat, to practice circumcision or, or other Jewish customs. And Titius, listen to this. He sent troops village to village, his military troops with an idol, ordering people to bow down and worship. There was a town, Modain, an elderly man stepped forward to comply with the order, but Metahias Maccabees drove him through with a spear and killed him along with the Syrian soldiers. I'm just giving you kind of a different take on what was going on from different sources. But nonetheless, Metahias being a priest, he could not stand the fact that the temple would be defiled like that. He could not stand the fact that there would be Jewish people willing to compromise like that. And the fact that a Levite of all people would have been willing to do that, it highly offended him. And he, he killed that man, which would have been very permissible under Jewish law. And then he proceeded to kill a Syrian soldier. And this stirred up a revolution among the people of God, which Daniel prophesied that God would send them a little help. Maccabees was not their last name. Maccabee means hammer. And it was actually a nickname given to them because they hammered and drove back the Syrian army. Now, you know that God had to give them that victory because you're dealing with a handful of priests. People, it was their family. You're dealing with a small group of people rose up and drove back the Syrian army 
retook the temple, cleansed the altar, cleansed the temple. And while they're cleansing the temple, this is where we get the miracle story about the menorah that to this day um, is lit as, as a remembrance. But there had to be a pure olive oil used in temple purposes. There was only one jar left with a seal on it. It was only enough to last one day. See, it had to be the first pressing of the olive. It had to go through inspection. And by the time Antiochus and them went through there, there was only one jar left. And when the Maccabees cleaned it, they found that one jar. And they knew that it was only enough to last for one day. But they thought, well, we'll go ahead and dump this into the menorah. We'll light it and just let it burn for one day. But lo and behold, it would have taken eight days total to get more oil to go through that process. But the, that menorah stayed lit and burned for eight days, which was a miracle. And there was no way it was humanly possible for that to happen. It was an act of God. And so they knew that God had given them a sign, that he had given them victory. So why was this so important that to this day, Hanukkah is celebrated? Why was it something that was so memorable? You know, when we look around this time of the year, Christmas time, and Hanukkah both, what do you see everywhere? You see lights everywhere, Christmas lights everywhere. I got Christmas lights all over my house. You have Christmas lights all over your house, I'm sure. There's lights everywhere. Why is this something that, about the lights? So you gotta understand something. For Jesus to come, now I want everybody to get this point I'm about to make. For Jesus to come around 150 years later, there had to be a temple and there, it had to be under Jewish control and things had to be the way that it was when he came. You understand that? And see, one of the things about the devil, I don't know that I fully understand this, but I can back it up with scripture. In Revelation, I believe chapter 12, somewhere around there, there's a picture of a woman that's about to give birth. Many of you probably read this in Revelation, thought, what in the world? 12 stars around the head. And the dragon stood, the dragon, the devil, stood in front of the woman and was going to kill the child as, as soon as it came forth. We know that the woman represents Israel and, and, and the child is Christ. But listen, here's the point. Satan always tries to do that. He tries to kill something before it's able to take place. Let me give you another example. When Moses was born in Egypt, you guys remember that something, somebody, something stirred up Pharaoh to take all of the male children and throw them in the Nile to be eaten by crocodiles, but Moses was supernaturally spared. What was it that stirred up Pharaoh to try to kill all the babies right as Moses was born? Because I'll tell you something, Satan knew something was going on. And Satan was trying to kill Moses, but he missed. The same thing happened at Jesus' birth. Something the devil stirred up, put on Herod's mind that he better slaughter all those young men that were around the age Jesus would have been. And remember that the soldiers went in there and killed all those children, but God had appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him, go to Egypt. And so Jesus had escaped. But Satan, once again, was trying to destroy, right as God was about to do something. And I believe that somehow the enemy knew 
Going back to the Garden of Eden, we know the story. Adam and Eve fell. And God prophesied right there to Adam and Eve and to the devil. He said, I will bring a seed through the woman. And though you strike his heel, he's going to crush your head. And Satan knew way back in the Garden of Eden, he clearly heard that there was going to be a Messiah, a Christ that would come. And he knew that it was going to come through a woman. And so he, he was watching. And I guarantee you that he felt something is up. And so what did he do? He stirred up a crazy man. Have you ever noticed down through history and even in our day that some people, some people get, I don't remember who it was, but there was a quote that says absolute power corrupts absolutely. Some people have been so power hungry, such a lust for power that they go somewhat insane i'm not talking about drooling on themselves staring at a wall insane but they're willing to kill anybody that they need to do anything they need to do to get more power such a lust for power they go somewhat mad okay and that's what antitius epiphanes was he, he was just he was one of those people down through the annals of history that in my opinion was a bit crazy and so every year around this time the jewish people remember and Jesus remembered this in his time. He would have grown up celebrating Hanukkah every year, the 25th of Kislev. And they remember how God brought a great deliverance to the children of Israel. This is a very significant story because everything had to be in place. And so God had already prophesied through Daniel how it was all going to work out and already prophesied he was going to send them help. And then Satan tried to come in and hinder the purpose of God. And I promise you the devil was trying to hinder the coming of the Messiah. I guarantee you. Why do you think that the devil is so bent on destroying Israel now? Because he knows in time prophecy that Jesus said, I'm coming back to Israel and Jesus' feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives. And so Satan is doing everything he can to try to destroy the nation of Israel now. Why? Because he senses the coming of the Lord is near. And this is what he was doing here. He sensed that something was up. And so he went in to try to hinder what God was wanting to do. But how many knows the devil cannot hinder God? When God's going to move, God's going to move. I remember hearing stories of a, a man I really love that's a missionary. And he's going into places where the gospel has never been preached. And when he gets there, a lot of times these people have had uh, witchcraft going back, no telling how many hundreds of years, you know. And they have their local witch doctors and and, and shamans and different people there. And he's going in preaching the gospel, so automatically these people hate him with a passion, okay? And he said that he's been stuck in situations where he had to pray for the sick or pray for somebody else. And while he's praying for them, he's got witch doctors over here chanting and trying to curse him. But he said this, he said, the one thing that I've learned is this, the devil cannot stop God. And he has seen people healed, miraculously healed, while the witch doctor's sitting there praying against him. And he said, don't ever think that the devil can stop God. Don't go by how you feel, because you may feel the oppression, but the devil cannot stop what God's going to do. The only time that God is hindered is when we stop believing. See, a lot of people would get in that situation, and they would start thinking, I'm in big trouble. I don't know if God can come through, and that would hinder it. So just remember this from this sermon. Number one, God will not be stopped by the devil no matter what the devil tries is even when satan cruci you know he stirred up those people to crucify christ 
He was playing into the hands, into the purposes, into the will of God the whole time. He's thinking, hey, I'm killing this guy. And the whole time, he was actually destroying himself and his own kingdom and played right into God's hands. So even when the devil thinks he's going to win, he still ends up losing. All right, so here we go, the temple. Jesus' ministry revolved around the temple. There had to be a temple when he came, and there has to be a temple again when he comes again. That's why you're going to see in the days to come, Israel will take more land, and they will rebuild a temple. It's prophesied. How many knows if it's prophesied in the Bible, it's going to happen? Amen. So that will happen. There has to be a temple when Jesus comes again, but there had to be a temple, and it had to be in Jewish control when Jesus came the first time. And so God had to sovereignly act and raise up the Maccabees and begin to move into that situation to break the power of that evil dictator and drive them back and cleanse that temple. Jesus, being Jewish, he came under the law in every, every respect. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was dedicated when he was a month old. Remember, they brought him to the temple and Simeon and Anna saw him. He was being dedicated. They had a... They had a a ritual under law that they brought their firstborn and redeemed them with silver, but that happened. He had his bar mitzvah. I can just imagine Jesus had to learn certain things for the bar mitzvah. He had to learn Hebrew. He had to learn how to read certain things and do certain things. And so I'd imagine around the age of 12 when he was there at the temple for his bar mitzvah, there were probably a couple priests that kind of ribbed each other and said, hey, let's give this guy a hard time, you know. And so they go up to him and they start asking him some questions. And they were kind of drilling him because they knew he was there for his bar mitzvah. Hey, what about this? Hey, what about this? And pretty soon, Jesus is just simply answering their questions, but all of a sudden, they start realizing this is not a normal kid. This guy knows a lot more than what is required at bar mitzvah, and he's, he's starting to blow our minds with some of the things he's saying. And this was an assignment from the father. It was the first one we read about in his life. It was at the temple. Mary comes back. You know how moms are, okay? She's out there. She lost Jesus. <laughs> you don't want to do that. You know, she lost Jesus. And so she's, she's freaking out. And she goes back to the temple, and there he is, you know, just sitting there. I imagine all calm and collective. You know, he's got his prayer shawl, and he's talking to these guys. And I can just hear, what are you doing? We've been worried sick. We're riding out here on our donkey, and you're not there, and we lost you. And, and Jesus just simply replies, you know, well, I had to be about my father's business. So it was the first time that we hear out of his mouth, and it was in the temple, that he was actually had an assignment from the father that we read about, okay? But he was supposed to be there, and he was supposed to be confounding those leaders that day. But you can see how his life revolved around the temple. And a lot of people don't know this, but it's very possible that he actually cleansed the temple more than once. We think it's only once a lot of times, but actually it's, it's quite possible that he cleansed it twice, and I'll show you that. But the temple was the focus. Jesus knew his whole life he grew up celebrating things like the Passover and, and Hanukkah. He knew the story of Hanukkah, and he knew that those Maccabees risked their life to cleanse that temple. And you know as well as I do that he had a heart for that temple because he said zeal for the temple, for the house of God has consumed me. And that's why he went in there and made that whip and drove them out. He wanted that temple holy. How many knows Jesus today wants his temple holy, doesn't he?
And the first time we read about this, Jesus in John 2.13 was found in the temple, I-N, in the temple. He made a whip and he drove them out of this outer court area cleansing. You know, the temple is an outer court, inner court, holy of holies. We are a body, soul, and spirit. You can really see something in this. In Hebrews 13, the Bible says that God will discipline those he loves. He treats us as children. He disciplines us. You know what? The Lord will allow sometimes, he'll allow us to go through things to help to destroy that sinful nature in our lives and help us to get that thing scourged. I'm not saying that you'll ever get total victory, but we can die to it. And you know what? He'll allow us to go through things to where we learn how to die to our flesh and walk in the spirit. We'll, we'll be the scourgings of life, the difficulties, the chastisement of God, the, the trying of our faith, the testing that we go through at times. And I believe that that is, is metaphoric of what I'm reading here, that Jesus, when he came in, he cleansed the outer portion of that temple. And God wants to deal with the flesh nature in our lives, that we learn how to die to that flesh. And he'll, how many knows that God knows how to give us the trials that are perfect for us? And he'll allow things in your life that will really scourge that outer temple area, that, that flesh area. And the Lord is wanting to get us to a place where we're crucified with Christ. The Bible says, Galatians 2.20, we're no longer living, but Christ living through us. But we've got to learn how to die to that flesh. We've got to learn how to let that, that flesh, that sinful nature come under subjection. And I believe that that's kind of the message here when Jesus cleansed the outer portion of that temple. He's wanting us to be cleansed of the sinful carnality uh, that we've allowed many times in our lives. Where we've lived according to the flesh and we've given in to the things of the flesh and the Lord is saying, you know what? I'm gonna allow there to be some scourging, some trials, some things that's gonna help them to beat that flesh down under subjection and learn how to conquer that thing. Does that make sense? Oh, we're stuck with a sinful nature. But you know what? We really can walk victorious in Christ. You know, while the Lord was in the tabernacle of Moses, the children of Israel were living in tents. Remember that? Then under Solomon, the Lord dwelt in a temple. And that was when the children of Israel were living in houses. And now when... Jesus came, the Spirit of God was living in flesh, inside Jesus, in flesh. Why? Because we now were about to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, where now the Spirit of God is dwelling in man. Does that make sense? God dwelt in tents when people did, when his people did. He dwelt in a house when his people dwelt in houses, but he came in flesh whenever it was time for the Spirit of God to come in flesh. Let me tell you about the Lord. He's always wanted to walk and talk with people. He's always wanted a family. Why do you think that God made Adam and Eve? Have you ever thought about it? There's no telling how many millions of angels there are. And I would imagine all of them look different, all different kinds. You ought to read in the Bible. Some of them look real different. Why in the world did God want something else? Because God, he saw the angels as like maids and butlers and servants, but God wanted a family. And he said, I'm going to make man in my image. And then we read about that God would come down and he would walk and talk with Adam in the garden. How amazing that would have been. 
But we know the story that man sinned. And the whole time when you read all throughout the scriptures, you read about the Lord coming and visiting Abraham and then through him visiting Israel. God has always wanted to walk and talk with people and find a group of people that love him. And so he, he wants to spend time with us is my point, okay? But for us to be able to spend time with the Lord, there's got to be a cleansing. The second temple cleansing, the first one you read about in John chapter 2, which is obviously early on in his ministry, at least it would indicate. But the second time is Matthew 21, and this is later on in his ministry. And now he goes into cleansing the temple at the end of Jesus' ministry. Christ wanted that temple to be clean. But this time, he didn't cleanse it with the whip. He cleansed it with his mouth. And you know what? The scourging part is the flesh, but the word of the Lord, the mouth, the word of God, the Lord is wanting us to renew our minds and, and think differently and really saturate our lives with the word of God to where it's like driving the enemy out of our thought processes and our emotions. And see, Jesus, the first time, there was a scourging out of the outer area, but this time it says he went into and he drove out there and I believe that goes from the flesh now to the soul area the mind and the emotions the Lord wants to really renew us and cleanse us and make us different people is this making sense but the message in all this I want to get across is, is that God loves people and he wants a family and he wants to spend time with his family but we've got to be holy the Bible says without holiness no man will see the Lord so for us to be able to spend time with the Lord, especially in his manifest presence, we've got to allow him to do a work in us and cleanse us. Did you know whenever people pray to the Lord and they're really hungry and they say, God, I want to spend time with you. I want to know you. And they're really hungry for God. Did you know from that moment, I believe God answers their prayers. But you know what he'll do? He'll, he'll set up something, a process that begins at that moment and that's going to go for a time where he can begin to help them deal with all the stuff that's hindering them from being with God. And that process will, will clean, clean out the layer after layer after layer. It's a process that once you come through that whole process, then you'll find that you're closer to him than ever before. Does that make sense? You pray to God, Lord, I want to be with you. I want to spend time with you. I want to know you. And I promise you that prayer touches God's heart. And he says, yes, but I've got to cleanse your temple. You can't just come like you are right now. I wish you could, but there's got to be a cleansing in your life. Then we'll be able to be close and intimate. That's just the way it is. And so the Lord loves us and he'll put us through things where we learn how to die to the flesh and we learn how to renew our minds. And, and there's this deep consecration that goes on in our temple where we can really spend time in his presence. And that process can be frustrating. God calls it the crucible for silver and the refining fire for gold. Does that sound fun? Gold will be dropped down in the, in the fire. Have you guys ever seen, you know, you go like to Whataburger or whatever, you know, and you're sitting there, you order your burger and you look and then they drop the fries down into the grease and you hear them sizzling and popping. Okay, that's a real good example right there. We want to go deeper in God. We cry out for God and God says, that's, that's, that's good, but I'm going to drop you in the grease. <laughs> And I'm going to burn out everything that needs to go right there, okay? And so God, gold is refined like this. God will put gold in the fire. And all the, as it melts, all the impurities come up to the top. 
and then they'll skim off the impurities and then they do it again and they keep doing that that's how you refine gold so don't be discouraged when you're going through things because God is drawing you closer to him he really is he's he's purifying us like gold in the fire and that's why James says to count it all joy when you're going through these things because you're being refined like gold in the fire you see what I'm saying so the Lord is purifying us And, of course, we know the corporate house of God, how important God's house is. I don't know if any of us can really, truly grasp. Did you know in the scriptures there's a lot of symbolism? And do you know what the arm of God's salvation, when you read that? The Lord, he reached down to save man. How did he do that? He sent his son. So Jesus is the arm of salvation reached down to humanity. But the Lord has given us the church. You know what the church is? The church is the fivefold ministry. Don't forget that. That's the hand of God in the earth. Through the church, through the local church, is the fivefold ministry. So Jesus has come. The arm of salvation has been extended to mankind, but God has placed his hand on the earth through the church, and the leadership of the church is the fivefold ministry. And I know sometimes that people get away from the house of God, but let me just encourage you about this. It is in the house of God where you have the fivefold ministry, not at home. Can I get an amen about that? Because that's the truth. It's in the house of God where two agree on earth. Y'all know what I'm talking about because some of you have personal prayer lives and God will move in your home, but it's a whole different ballgame when you come to church. Because you have the fivefold ministry, you have a corporate anointing, you have a corporate faith. The gifts, uh, the fivefold ministry gifts are in operation. The gifts of the Spirit are in operation. We need it. When you read about the fivefold ministry in Ephesians 4:11, it says the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher were given for the equipping of the saints. See, the Lord has given the fivefold ministry to bring the body of Christ to maturity. Why? So it says that we won't be tossed to and fro any longer by winds of teaching. How many people do we see out there that aren't really rooted the way they need to be? And all these different fads and little weird teachings and things come and they're tossed to and fro, confused, not knowing really what to believe, back and forth. The fivefold ministry is there and if it's in place like it's supposed to be, it will bring the body of Christ to maturity where they're established in the faith, they're established in what they believe. They're no longer babes. But that is done through the church. And we are one body. You know, when people are cutting themselves off from the people of God, you have, you know, the foot missing. How far are you going to run without a foot? You know, how far, how can you see without one of your eyes or whatever? You know, your eyes are gone. I mean, we need each other. I'm serious. It's a body. That's why the, the, the Apostle Paul talked about it in, in Corinthians. He said that, you know, the eye and the foot and the hand, and he gave it the physical body analogy. You know, some people, whenever the body is missing from one another, it's literally like cutting off parts that we need. And God is wanting his people to come together, especially in these last days in the book of Hebrews. It says, when you see the coming of the Lord near, all the more we need to be gathering together but we need this corporate move of God together but 
And we read about how the Lord cleansed the temple in these scriptures. The sinner in 1 Corinthians 5 that was in sexual immorality was given over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so this spirit may live. That's the whip cleansing that temple. There's a warning in the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 3 to 17 that says, if anyone defiles God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. So see, there'll be discipline that God will do. He, he will allow us to go through things individually and corporately to help to purify and deal with things in the temple that need to be dealt with. Fasting will also help break down and, and deal with things in our lives that needs to be dealt with. And the Lord wants his temple holy. So the story of Hanukkah is a cleansing of the temple to prepare for Christ's coming. Jesus cleansing the temple of his day and us being a pure holy temple of the Holy Spirit and Christ reigning in his temple one day in Jerusalem. So here in a little bit, whenever I give an altar call, we're going to do something different tonight. We're going to spend some time there, but I want people to ask themselves this question. Remember this story. This was something prophesied in the Bible. It is a very powerful story. But tonight, think about this. Are there idols in your life? Are there, are there um, defiled altars in your life that used to were, were the Lord's, but now you, you've allowed other things? Is there something in your temple that needs to be cleansed before God? Now, let me shift gears about the festival of lights and a baptism of fire. Another thing that marks this time of year, and I believe that it's, it's not a coincidence because... Hanukkah is on the 25th of Kislev, but that's a, a lunar calendar, so it fluctuates when it is for us every year. But the 25th of Kislev, and then when do we celebrate Christmas? The 25th of December. See, I believe there's a connection. And so you see in both instances, you see light. The lights are shining forth. What is the message? The message is God is light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And you know, a lot of people believe in it. We can't prove it for sure. But while Jesus was walking and saw there at Hanukkah in his day, and he saw those lights, that that was when he announced, I am the light of the world. Because everybody's focus was on the lights. But 1 John 1.5 says, God is light. James 1.17 calls the Father the Father of light. And Jesus went into the temple to look at the lights at Hanukkah time. But light and illumination is very important. Did you know you can come in here late at night in this building and it's dark, but as soon as you flip on a light, darkness flees. You see what I'm saying? Light always overpowers darkness. You're not going to be able to grab some darkness and put it in a box and bring it in here and open it up. Darkness is the absence of light. And God is light. And where there's an absence of God, that's where darkness reigns. Now, here's an interesting statement. You can look this up. God said, let there be light before there was a sun and a moon. Why? Because he is light. And his light shines forth. But he put the sun and the moon, the Bible says this, for a sign for days, for seasons, and for signs. Now, that's very interesting to me. He said, I've put the sun and the moon in the sky for days, for seasons, and for signs. 
Think about that for signs. You're going to be seeing signs in the heavens in these last days, just like these blood moons and things. It's significant. And the word seasons can be translated festivals or feasts, the feast of the Lord. All right, God is light. He wraps himself. Psalm 104.2, God wraps himself in light like a garment. You know what the light is? How many of you guys have worshiped the Lord here? And you felt the glory of the Lord like a weighty presence settle on you. How many of you guys have felt this way back? Most people. That's the glory. The anointing, anoint means rub in. That's the power of God. You can operate in the anointing, pray for the sick, they're healed and all that. But there's a difference between the anointing and the glory. The glory is God's manifest presence. And the word for glory in the Old Testament Hebrew is, number one, it's kabod. And kabod means heavy weighty presence of God people have told me I was out in the power and I felt like a weight of the presence of God on me most most people have told me something like that I have felt that too that's the weight of the glory but also the word Shekinah that's another word for glory in Hebrew Shekinah and Shekinah is the shining the radiance of God's glory so when God comes in his glory his manifest presence God said, I wrap myself in light like a garment. The glory of God has a weight like a garment to wrap around, and it also shines. Is anybody getting a picture here of the glory with me? So here's another interesting statement. You can look this up for yourself. But when God made Adam and Eve, he said he made them in his image. He made Adam in his image and took Eve out of Adam. But listen to this. The Bible said they were made in the image of God, and they were naked and knew no shame. But the word there for naked, the first time, is arom in the Greek, A-R-O-M. This is, this is so interesting to me. You can go back and look this up. A-R-O-M, and it actually translates partially nude. If God made Adam and Eve in his image and then said they're partially nude, I promise you there was some kind of a wrapping of that glory over them. Follow me with this. After they sinned in Genesis 3-7, it says that they saw that they were naked and they hid, the word naked there is erom, E-R-O-M, and it means completely nude. What happened? What happened from erom, A-R-O-M, to erom, E-R-O-M? I'll tell you what happened. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory. The glory, even though Adam and Eve didn't have physical clothes, they were wrapped in the glory of God. But when they sinned, the glory lifted. Is this making sense? The glory of God, his light, his shining. We are called to be a light to the nation. Jesus is like the sun, the great light. You know, the moon doesn't create its own light. We know this. The moon just reflects. But Jesus is like the sun. He's the one that's giving off the light, but we're supposed to be like the moon reflecting the light of Christ. And then in the end, we know Revelation 21, verses 22 through 23, that God... And Jesus are going to be the lights in the new Jerusalem. Did you know that? When Jesus comes back and the new Jerusalem comes down one day, the city of God, did you know that there's not going to be a need for a sun and a moon anymore? Because the Bible says that Jesus will be the light that lights up the new city of Jerusalem. Even to this day in, in synagogues, uh, Messianic Christian Jewish people, they have what they call the Ner Tamid. It's a, it's a light, an eternal light that's always on in their synagogue and it represents the lampstand 
See, the lampstand in the tabernacle was never supposed to go out. The priests were supposed to every day trim the wicks, keep it filled with oil to continually burn. And for us today, the Lord wants us that he can come into our lives and trim the wick, cut out the stuff that needs to go, the pruning. Remember John 15? He says, if you bear fruit, I will prune you so you'll be even more fruitful. See, in the, in the tabernacle, they had to trim the wick of that lampstand, cut off the old burnt cloth that needed to go, trim the wick. The Lord wants to come into our lives and trim out, prune out some things that needs to go. Fill us with extra fresh oil from heaven and baptize us in fire so that we can burn for him. Amen? And so tonight, I want you also to think about this. Let the Lord fill you tonight when we pray for people. Get prayer, but let the Lord fill you. I think sometimes that some people don't know how to really receive from the Lord. Stop praying at that time when somebody's now laying hands on you. Stop praying and just let him pour into you. Let him fill you. Remember, the Bible says don't be drunk with wine, but what? Be filled with the Spirit. The Lord is wanting us filled with the Spirit. Just let him pour into you tonight that fresh oil from heaven and give you a fresh baptism of fire that he'll, you'll burn for him. And finally, this is the last point here, priestly warriors. And then I'm going to do an illustration about the, the Hanukkah menorahs tonight. My wife's going to help me out. Okay, you ready? All right, she looks ready. She looks fired up. I'm proud of my wife, by the way, for many reasons. But she, uh, you never know how things are going to play out, but she was telling me that, you know, how many of you guys have seen her testimony? All right. Well, some lady at, at her school where she works got a hold of that testimony and just loves it. So she's going around showing everybody she can the testimony. Seriously. So there's this young lady that's really been going through a difficult time. And this lady showed the girl, the young lady, her, uh, my wife's testimony. So then the young lady, make a long story short, um, wants to talk to my wife, and my wife leads her to Jesus. She gets saved at the school and the power she said the power of the holy spirit was awesome in that place when they prayed isn't that something and it's little this little baptist lady and she's over there tearing up you know while the power of the holy spirit is coming in that place but that's being a light in the darkness okay you know what it means to be salt in the world it's to be a prayer warrior but you know what it means to be a light it's to be a witness so here's kind of what I want to close with, and we'll do a little um, illustrated thing here at the end. But the priestly warriors, like the Maccabees, you know, these guys were something else. I mean, they drove back an army. There was a man in the Bible named Benaniah that most people don't even know who he is, but he's one of my favorite people in the Bible. He was the son of a chief priest. He was set by David over his bodyguard. See, a lot of people read the, the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and they don't know what that is. That was David's secret service. That was David's personal bodyguards. And Benaniah was over David's personal bodyguards. He was a part of that. Benaniah was also one of David's mighty men that you read about. How many of you guys remember reading about David's mighty men? These guys were something else. I mean, they killed giants. They, they destroyed um, 
armies. They, they were incredible. These guys, one of them went down into a pit in a snowy day and took out a lion. You know, I mean, these guys were something else. And David, you know, I guess it's like this. If you want to be a giant killer, hang out with a giant killer. These guys hung out with David, and look what happened. But Benaniah was really something. And later on, after David died, and Benaniah, or rather Solomon, came to power, Solomon so trusted Benaniah and saw something in him that he made Benaniah his commander-in-chief over the whole military. Did y'all get that? That was quite a promotion. And he was a musician and a Levite. Just like King David was a worshiper and a warrior, which is a perfect combination in the kingdom of God. If you're going to be a great warrior like David, you've got to also be a worshiper and a prayer, somebody that knows how to pray. You see, we minister to the Lord first, and then we can go out and minister for him in power. But tonight... How many of you guys would say, I would love to be like Benaniah. I would love to be somebody that is a, a priest unto God, somebody that ministers to God like the Maccabees, but also somebody that can really be used by God to destroy the devil's kingdom. Amen. But that's, that's being a priest unto God, a worshiper and a prayer warrior and spending time with him and then coming out of that in the authority and the power of of the Holy Spirit to destroy sickness and destroy demons and, and drive back the powers of darkness. But it only comes out of spending time with Jesus. But we can all do that. The Bible says these, these signs will follow them that believe in my name. You will drive out demons, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover and speak in new tongues. Doesn't it say that? So we just got to believe. All right, so during this time, I want here in a moment, I'm gonna have my wife come up. But as we, we're just gonna light some lights here tonight is a symbolic thing here at Christmas time and obviously we're in Hanukkah as well remembering what the Lord did and then we're going to pray for people but I want you guys to we're going to pray a little different tonight because I want people to kind of get alone with God and really get serious about things so I'm going to need the elders to help me out okay you ready with all the stuff you got everything you need all right, go ahead and do that. Let me get the elders to come get these menorahs tonight. We're going to do something special. You guys, how many of you guys remember while they're doing all that? How many of you guys grew up in church and remember going to some candle lighting service? Did you ever do that? Man, I did too. How many of you guys went to those candle lighting services and, and deep down, you may not admit it, but you thought to yourself, what's the point? Okay, be honest. I know that some of y'all that were younger, I know you thought it. Okay, you may, you may deny it here, but I know you did. As I remember when I was younger, I was like, what is the point? We're sitting here lighting candles, doing like this and singing a song. What is the point? And I remember thinking, man, I, we drove all the way to church for this, you know. But after studying this out, you can see the point. It's really interesting. It's really neat. All right, so to this day, here's what we're going to do is an illustrated sermon. Get my pretty wife. We're going to do, yeah, we'll do that here in a moment. I'm going to get her to illustrate, and you guys come on up, guys. And here in a moment, Miss Wendy, I want to shut down recordings as well, so we'll just have to work that out. And y'all face that way, okay? Face the people. Yeah, there you go. Well, no, wait just a second. Now, listen, these things should not drip if you hold them straight up, okay? So I'll hold you guys personally accountable. 
And how how much hairspray do you have, Brother Zach? Because this could be dangerous. You okay? I don't want you to like blow up on me. <laughs> All right. But anyway, this is just an illustrated sermon, so y'all bear with me tonight. All right, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. So the, the, the people of God at that time, sometimes you read in the Bible and you see people got their pretty little headdress and you think, why in the world? They're doing that. Listen to me, y'all. Please get this. They're doing that just out of their reverence for God, okay, out of their respect for God. And it's given to the woman in this culture to light the candles and speak the blessing. Why? Because it's believed that it was the woman in the Garden of Eden that put out the light, but it was also the woman that brought forth Jesus Christ into the world, the light of the world. Does that make sense? The woman kind of was at fault in the Garden of Eden, okay, even though Adam had his part for sure, but she was used, the woman was used, though, to bring forth the Messiah, the true light of the world. And so I thought tonight maybe some people would like to participate in this, so I, that's why I brought more than one. But then, then the woman will speak a blessing and light uh, the first candle, which is the, called the shamash candle, which is the, um, the servant candle, the middle one there, and then the one that's raised. But anyway, here you go. The wife will speak a blessing to the Lord. Blessed are you, Lord our God. Blessed are you, Lord our God. King of the universe. King of the universe. Who gives us the festival of lights. Who gives us the festival of lights. There you go. And then we'll come over here and light these candles tonight. Listen, I'm going to get her just to light one. And how many of you guys, I kind of thought to myself today when I was praying that maybe people would want to light one of these tonight. Would any of you guys want to do that? Fernando, don't burn the house down, but I'm watching you, okay? The, the middle one, yeah. There, she's got it. All right. All right, let's do this too. Can you dim the lights for me so we can get a little more of this thing now if you guys would tonight as we're about to pray but if you just want to here at christmas and at this hanukkah time if you want to participate in this and light one of these candles come on up i'm gonna i'm gonna light one but if y'all do there's only a certain amount all right so if we run out of candles don't be mad at pastor scott i don't have any more of these okay all right y'all good with how to do it there did you is this the one that works better of the two okay we got it just push it forward and then and then light it you got to hold it they burn they burn up isn't that pretty see so you see these menorahs and you think of what jesus the light of the world how god prepared the temple for the coming of our lord our messiah isn't that awesome so i promise you guys are going to see hanukkah a lot different now aren't you you see jesus coming in a powerful way <coughs> I'm glad the lights were gone because we might have had to start all over after that sneeze. I felt that. Okay, that would have blew out every candle right there. All right. All right, guys. So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to pray about some things tonight. We've had a lot of fun and uh, obviously celebrate Christmas and, and, and teaching on this. But let me tell you a couple things real quick about Christmas. You know, there was a time that there was a prophet for hire in the Bible. He was a, not a good man. His name was Balaam. And truthfully, he had a gift from God. You guys remember reading about him. He was an accurate prophet, but what perverted his ministry was he became a prophet for hire that was willing to do stuff for money. See, if you're going to be somebody that's a voice of God, you better not ever do things for money. Amen? And so 
uh, Balaam was an evil man, but he really had a gift from the Lord. And during, while he was trying to curse Israel, he spoke something at that time, and he said there would be a scepter, but he said that there would be a star that would rise out of Judah, I believe is what he said, but he, he spoke about a star rising. Now, what's interesting is this. A lot of people believe that those wise men that were in the east were familiar with that prophecy. And that they, of course, they studied the stars, but when they saw that star, that northern star, they knew that this was different. And, and many scholars believe that they thought about the prophecy that they would be this star that would come. And that's why when they came, they said to Herod, they said, where's the one that's born king of the Jews? Now, that wouldn't have gone well with Herod, okay? But why is it that they came saying, where's the one born king of the Jews? Why did they ask that question? Because they had already heard about that there would be this star that was connected with the Messiah. So they came looking for Christ. And we know the story of Jesus. I mean, he was... Uh, it was a miracle that, that all the timing of everything, but Mary was pregnant, brought down to Bethlehem because Jesus prophetically, he had to be born in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is Beth Lechem in Hebrew and it's house of bread. And what did Jesus say about himself? I am the bread of life. And he had to be born in the house of bread. And then also, as Jesus came out of there, he escaped to Egypt, and there was a prophecy that, they, that um, the Lord said, I would bring my son out of Egypt. And so all of his life, everything about Jesus' life fulfilled all these prophecies. There was no way that this could have been happen chance. God's hand was sovereignly on every single prophecy coming to pass about Jesus. And we know, we know the Christmas story. But anyway, tonight, here's what I want to do. I want us to take some time here to pray. And I want to make this available to people because we're going to cancel, obviously, next week's service. So I want people to really get everything out of tonight that you can. We're going to pray for everybody that wants prayer before we go. But before we do that, if I could get Dad to help me here. we Underneath the second layer down, there's some communion juice and some bread that's ready. I want people, if we can get on some worship, Brother Zach, just have that going. But I want people tonight to get alone with Jesus. And here's what I want you to think about this sermon tonight. <clears throat> about is there any altars in my life that need to come down? Is there any part of my temple that needs to be cleansed? I want to be holy and pure. I don't want anything in my life. If that's you tonight and you really want to get everything right with the Lord, and I want you to find a place you can get some communion if you want. It's available to you, okay? I want you to find a place where you can really get alone with God, you and him, here at Christmas time. And Hanukkah as well, you know, but here at Christmas time, really getting things right with the Lord and making sure everything's right. Because after that, we're going to pray for people that God fill you with extra oil and baptize you in fire tonight and give you a fresh touch. But first, let's deal with this. So, Lord, I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to settle upon people tonight powerfully and begin to deal with hearts and minds show us lord if there's any altars in our lives that need to come down if there's any part of our temples that need to be cleansed because jesus when you came you came to clean the temple and you want a holy temple before you and if there's anything we need to deal with tonight let it be dealt with